All right, this season of Tune on Toast is brought to you by my friends at Velvet Hammer Music and Management Group. This run of episodes I'm doing right now would not be possible without them. If you work under the arts umbrella, music, comedy, podcast host, whatever it is, they support you, they chase greatness, they love the arts from the bands and the brands they work with like System and Corn to Ted Stryker and Tuna on Toast. Thank you, Velvet Hammer. Now let's get to the episode. Your name is Stryker? Yes, it is. That's fire. <laughs> wow. I love sandwiches. It's called tuna on toast. I, I, I spit. I don't know what I'm doing. I love music and I love those that created it. Stryker's here. Tuna on toast. Yes. Tuna on toast. Yeah. yeah. Welcome to another episode of Tuna on Toast. It is Ted Stryker. Can you hear the lawnmower man in the background? Two houses away from where I live. There is a dude on a lawnmower, and he is going crazy. He's like, can't buy me love. Ronald McDonald Miller mowing the lawn right now. And it's no shade to him mowing the lawn. But, like, the angle that he is mowing the lawn on right now is shooting directly into my Tune on Toast studio, which, of course, is my guest bedroom. All right, what's going on, everybody? It is Stryker. Ryan Key from Yellow Card is going to join us in just a second. And what a life and what a career Ryan Key has had. And Yellow Card, in case you didn't know the quick story, and, of course, we discuss it in great detail with Ryan Key, they broke up in 2016. I mean, we're celebrating the 20-year anniversary of Ocean Avenue. 2016, they were done. Never did he think that they would have some sort of a comeback. But you know and I do with festivals like When We Were Young and Sick New World, so many of the bands that we loved 20 years ago are bigger than ever now. And we just want them in our life and we want that comfortability and sing along to the songs that we know and love. Yellow Card, as we sit here right now and they're doing their headlining tour, they're playing some of the biggest shows of their career. And I don't mean they're part of a festival lineup and there's 60,000 people at a festival. That's happening. But I mean their own tour, headlining bigger venues now than when they were at their peak powers. It is so wild to see, but also so exciting and so deserved for all the bands. Many of them thought, you know what? We had a great run. We're going to slow down. And then with this resurgence here in 2023, they are bigger than ever, selling more merch and more tickets than ever. And kudos to them. They all deserve it. The new Yellow Card EP is called Childhood Eyes, and it's really good. The video is great as well. I discuss it all with Ryan Key. And if you could do me a favor as you stream Tune on Toast podcast, when you have like 90 seconds, can you just give me the five-star rating, please, and write a one-sentence or two-sentence review? It actually really helps with the algorithm. So again, thank you for doing that. And also, if you didn't know if you're new to the Tune on Toast family, there's an awesome library of episodes for you to go do a deep dive on. So let's get to this episode now. He came over to the house. He is the front man from the band Yellow Card. He loves Star Wars. He's a great guy. Please welcome to the Tune on Toast studio, Ryan Key. I mean, you just, espresso, you just can't, it's the best at home coffee. You just cannot beat it. No. The frothy little head on the top. Like it's just, it's just (laughs) so good. Here. The true. first time I saw you post about this, I was like, I, I want to do that. I oh, have to do sweet. that. Yeah. Thanks, man. Thank yeah. you. I mean, it was recent. Somehow it came up on my, oh, on my Instagram feed and I was like, I want to do that. Oh, cool, man. Thank you. Thank yeah. you so much. Of course. We've been hanging out in the house for like 10 minutes. Yep. I served you up some coffee. I've had some yogurt and blueberries. <laughs> I mean, just 
Just delightful, really. Do you feel warm? Do you feel welcomed here? I do. I do, man. You were out outside to greet me when I pulled up. It was just, I'm just stoked to be here, man. Thank you. Of course. This is why Ryan is very classy, and this is very consistent with many of the guests. At a, you, Your arrival time was 11 a.m., but at 10, you're like, I'm going to be there at 11.09. And yes. I'm like, thanks for telling me. At 11.09, I see Ryan in the car <laughs> driving over here, which is great, man. <laughs> Uh, late, but punctual. <laughs> All right. I want to go straight into the present and the future. And then I want to rewind and find out a bunch of information that I don't know. Sure. Because you and I have actually known each other probably about 20 years, 20 years, man. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So tell me about childhood eyes. It's the new song, the video rules. It's, it's so good, man. Thank you. So we will have announced at that point that it is part of a five-song EP that we're releasing. So I don't really know where to start, man. I guess I should say that the band broke up, and I use those words correctly. We broke up. In 2017, in March, we played our last show. And for all I knew, that that was it. Uh, there was no—this was not uh, a marketing scheme. This was not— uh, a leave the door open maybe thing we were done so the fact that we're having a conversation about any of this i should just preface all of this with yeah. that is just wild to me so exciting so grateful that we were able to come together as friends and musicians again and i don't know find a direction that made sense for all of us again and i think just take it ended up being a break and not a break up, but definitely a more impactful, more intense break than we've ever taken before. And I think that it really revealed how special and important and uh, meaningful the legacy of Yellow Card is Absolutely. for not just us, but for uh, the people all around the world who have been listening and supporting the band for 20 plus years. Uh, so, that said, this all just started when um, our booking agent, her name is Corey Christopher. She's been our booking agent since 2001. Wow. Uh, she's the only person that's worked with the band for our, basically our entire career. So right. she's a dear friend. You know, we're pretty much the same age. We've grown up together. We've through the business and we've learned so much together. So it, it, this whole thing started with basically Corey reaching out to say, hey, I know this is crazy to hear, but Live Nation is interested in what might it might mean for us to do some shows, and that bit, that snowballed into what we're doing now. But but I remember. Well, hold on now. When they say doing some shows, was the first conversation about being part of a festival? Was no, it celebrating I think they, twenty years I, I, of Ocean yes, Avenue. Yes, celebrating twenty years of Ocean Avenue, and okay. I also think with uh, the the very evident revival of. Uh, the mid-2000s warp Tour, insert genre here, emo, pop punk, w w whatever you want to call it, uh, that's happening right now, um, I think that played into it too. It was sort of like someone over there realized, wow, this resurgence is happening and it's the 20th anniversary of, you know, Yellow Card's, you know, double platinum record. This is right. it's crazy. It's crazy that, that all of that's crazy to say out loud, but... Um, so that's, that's where it started was kind of, was a tour. I think the original idea was maybe more of like a co-headline and we can get into the tour and stuff if you want. Yes, of course. Uh, Cause that got crazy too. It's crazy. The tour is crazy, crazy, crazy. So I would love to talk about it. Uh, but music was just off the table though, which is where I'm going with this. I remember when the conversations started early on, 
we weren't all talking about it as a group because, um, you know, part of the reason we broke up in 2017 is because some of us were no longer talking. I mean, so even, Sean, Ryan, even, and even, Josh. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, okay. and so I, you know, I don't want to get into all the details of the inner workings of all that, but there were, it was not the vibe was not good. And this is back in internally, 2017, right? Then, yes. Right? Okay. Oh, oh, vibe not good in 2017. Uh, vibe wasn't good for a few years. Okay. We just it just finally kind of came to a head of like this is time. It's time to to call a time of death. Like this is just not working anymore. Personality wise, right. wise, um, you know, I, I hate lack of a better word for lack of a better word, success wise. Like it was just kind of getting a little little slower every year, you know, and it's just not a good feeling. And we wanted to, so we ended up doing this final world tour that blew out of the water and that felt amazing. It was like, okay, that's, we're sending off on this amazing note instead of these sort of lows that we were constantly feeling, uh, in, in the late 2010s. So anyways, we still weren't really communicating though. Um, some of us. And so when I brought up music, Kristen Harris, our, our manager, uh, was was like, absolutely not. She's like, there's no way you guys are going to go in the studio together. And I was like, yeah, you're probably right. I mean, that's fine. What do we need music for? Let's just do this tour and celebrate the 20th anniversary right. and all that. And you have a, you have so many songs in your arsenal. For sure. You so t- so like it was like, eight, nine records and, and I only like brought up doing it because it was like, shouldn't we have some vinyl or something to sell on, on at the merch table? Something right. new to, you know, just like wouldn't. And it was like, you're not going in the studio together. I was like, yeah, you're probably right. We shouldn't do that. Uh, but fast forward to... Getting an, a phone call, you know, months later, after uh, those of us in the band that were sort of struggling relationship-wise had started to really um, reconcile and communicate and talk through, you know, the things that led to uh, that sort of negative space we were in uh, seven, eight years ago, and that was all going really well, and we were feeling really positive and really pumped, and then the, and the tour was happening, and so then out of nowhere. I feel like I need to remind Kristen that I told her we should do music and she was like, absolutely not. Because out of nowhere, I got a phone call and she was like, you know what? You guys should do some music. Like, like it was her, she was like, we should do music. And I was like, didn't I say that? We but uh, no, I love her. She's, she's amazing. She's the best. We owe like everything that's happening yeah, to her and Corey, awesome. uh, both our agent and her. But anyway, so, you know, that came to be at the time that that conversation started. Sean uh, was still working a very full-time job. He has two beautiful children. He's been pretty open on social media and, and um, just online in general. His wife has been through a pretty terrible uh, battle with breast cancer. Oh, She's no. killing it. She got through it. She's killing it. Okay. I just spent two whole days with our whole family at Disney World and she was just like, she is. Oh, she's okay, doing good, amazing. Good, it's good, awesome. Good. She's super strong, back to work, just doing great. So, But anyways, um, he was going through a lot. So the idea of doing a full-length album was pretty, pretty off the table. That was like, where are we going to find the time to you know, that's a lot of pre-production and then it's a lot of moving parts. None of us live in the same city. How do we make a, a, a full album? So we're pretty crafty these days with producing our own music. Um, Ryan Mendez, our guitarist, and myself have fully functioning re- recording studios nice. at home. Um, and so we knew we could do a lot of it ourselves uh, and, and we just kind of came down to the idea of, of doing an EP. So And it's five songs. Yep. And again, as we sit here today, it's not coming out for a while. The, uh, yeah, but right. when I, I've listened to all five songs. Is there a Vic Fuentes voice that I heard in there? There is. There is. There is. Okay, what's the name of that song? Uh, three minutes more. Three minutes more. Yeah, we open the EP with just a. I, I would say that it, for if you're a fan of of Yellow Card, that I think the era that is best captured with these songs, and I think people are going to be very pumped to hear me say this, is Paper Walls. 
And so Paper Walls was the third record we made for Capitol Records. And, and you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, and I try not to do the regret game, but should have been the second record, not the third one. Mm. <laughs> um, you know, we made Lights and Sounds, the second Capitol Record, and it was this, like, just dark. Much different sound it was than just, the previous one, Yeah, it was one, just right? this, this, like, dark, you know, substance-fueled Hollywood weird time in our life. It was a pretty, pretty typical sophomore experience for a young rock and roll band right uh but after that record which didn't have anywhere near the commercial success that ocean avenue had we sort of wanted to refocus the sound and and we went and made paper walls and everybody was freaking out like oh this is it you're back you know but the label fell apart all around us at that exact moment uh in 2007 hold on one sec i just want to slow you down for one second yeah Making the second album for Capital after Ocean Avenue, yeah. which the sound definitely was different. Was that yeah. you guys rebelling against somebody or were you like, oh, we just don't want to be the same. We want to make a big I, difference. I think we just wanted to – look, we grew up on – I grew up on – I can never speak for everyone when I do you know interviews and things like this. But I grew up on rock and roll. Like I started playing guitar because I was 11 years old when Nevermind came out, you know? Wow. So yeah. like I was a perfect age for nine, for the 90s rock and roll experience, right? And when you find yourself with the success that we had off of a three-chord you know, pop song that is – I mean now – look, I, I, I can step back and look at all of this now. I'm, I'm just putting myself in my 25-year-old shoes. You want to like say, you know, I can do more. I can, I can be more than that. I can right. – we can right. expand our sound more than right. that. And, we, and really it all just comes down to the fact that we just wanted to make a rock and roll record. We wanted to make like a kind of more alternative-leaning 90s Foo Fighters, whatever, you know, you, you want to say. We wanted to try that. And so we did with Lights and Sounds, you know, for better or for worse, we did. I love listening to the record because I love how – uh, out outside of the box and experimental it was for the age we were and and making that record was an insane experience did you make it here in LA yeah we did and we went from a, a large record deal for a 24 year old 23 year olds to get with Ocean Avenue to an insane record oh, deal wow. for licensed sounds we did a symphony orchestra in Capitol Studio <laughs> A right. that Sean was that. conducting in a yes. suit and tie and wasn't he it going was, a little bit off the rails not in a bad way because he had to conduct and write all that stuff right yeah there, yeah right? yeah it was it was mental it was mental Jesus the whole experience Christ. and I was a mess I was partying and doing the young Hollywood thing right. I was out of control yep. pushing yep. the limits you know it was just a really weird time and so anyways, we refocused, I think, a lot with Paper Walls on like the core of what Yellow Card was, not just to us, but to the fans. And I think it's important that I bring that up now because I, I think this EP lives right in that moment, in that Paper Walls moment. And, and I think uh, the last two records that we made before we broke up were very much records for us. They were record, you know, and, and again, not to speak for everyone in the band, but they certainly were records for me. They're, they're not pop punk if in any way if that's I, don't know, I still don't know how i feel about that john that word you know pop pop and punk like right. those are, they're conflicting conflicting ideas and but what is alternative i know what i know is i know it's just I, genres in general it's yeah. It, yeah but anyways i uh you know i was the, the 2013 to 2016 when the band broke up was a very tumultuous chapter in my person my life personally um and professionally and so those records go, I think, even farther into that license sounds experience of like we wanted to make like a pumpkins feeling just like like flowy mid tempo experimental rock records. And we did two of them. And and this now right now, I think we're in a place where we recognize that we had the opportunity to do that, but that we we really want to look at what the people that 
give us the opportunity to make music, what do they want to hear? And how do we make music that they want to hear that we love to make, right? And it only took like 30 minutes. We went to Austin, Texas, which is where Sean lives for pre-production right? Uh, because he was still working his job and his kids and stuff. So we went, Josh, Ryan, and I flew there. We got an Airbnb. We set up a little mobile recording rig and we, we did pre-pro there right away. Like going, sort of going back to the roots of like the original kind of melodic, I don't know what, you know, describing this stuff is hard, but you know what I mean? Like the ocean Avenue and paper wall, paper walls feeling, uh, sounds. As soon as we started doing it, we were like, "Mm -hmm, this feels good. This feels right. You know? So you you never want to say like, we're just going to make something because this is what people want to hear. It's not going to be authentic. Right. But it was, it it was like both things worked for us on this recording experience. And when you guys got in the room in Austin, Texas, after six years and, it was a tumultuous relationship six, seven, eight, nine, ten years ago. Yeah. Did you, not speaking for the other guys, have nerves walking into that room with everybody and was time to hit record and do some songs? Uh, for sure. You did. For sure. I've done uh, I've done a lot of work on myself, especially since the band broke up, looking at just, you know, who I've been and my experience and, and um I think it's no secret that early in our career, I didn't necessarily have the best reputation for being like the most personable guy. I had a really short fuse uh, on stage. Like if something broke or went wrong, I, I, I always dealt with that wrong back then. Um, you know, and why, why, why was I like that? What were those reasons? I have, have you worked I have on them that all, to figure I have them all figured out. A lot of it has mm. to do with, you know, you can't, you can't say it's someone else's fault that you did a, a, a thing or reacted a certain way, but you can be influenced by other people in your life, you know? And so I, I don't, you, I don't care to go into like blame pointing and finger pointing, but a lot of what was causing me to be the way I was back then was the environment I was in. I was dealing with like a lot of insecurity about singing and being all of a sudden we were literally a garage band, not misusing the word. Like our first ever manager came to see us play in a garage <laughs> And then two years later, we were playing on the Video Music Awards. Two wow. years later. Wow. So I was not ready for any of that. And in addition to that, the personalities within the band were very, very rough. Very rough. We were, we were shiny, happy people on the outside, but we were a dumpster fire on the inside. And I really didn't have the tools to, to navigate that, you know, and to stay positive and to... Uh, find my way through it. So I, w- I, I think I just shut down a lot. I think I, w- I, I could get kind of cold and, and insecure and, and go inward, you know, right. a lot back then. Because if you put yourself outward, then there's a much better chance for you to get judged even well, more. Well, and I think right? when I was putting myself outward, I was, it was not right. I was, I was, it was like anger and frustration and those kinds of things that would bubble to the surface, you know? And so again, instead of regretting all of that, I try to like look at it from a place of learning place of like what how did those experiences get me to where I am today and how can I do it differently this time so to your question walking in the room it was so important for me personally to make sure that I brought all these sort of new tools with me um, and That's and good, sort of just an improved version of how I was going to interact with the guys in the band how I was going to you know just leave myself open for uh, ideas and suggestions and creativity collaborative, and collaborative right. energy yeah yep. And it was awesome. It was awesome for all of us, man. We would, we worked all day, and then we'd you know pour some whiskeys at night and sit around the table and just talk and 
talk about how exciting all of this is and and how we never thought we'd be here again. And I mean, it's uh, I'm getting a little thinking about it. You know, it's intense, man. It's really intense. I no BS. I love childhood eyes. Mm. I've listened to it so Thank you, man. many times. I don't know if you have, because of the way it was sent to me, if you can look to see how many times I've listened to it. <laughs> I don't think but I it's can. it's probably around like between 8 and 11 times. Cool. And when you're done watching Ryan and I or listening, watch the video. Yeah. This is a cinematic video. Yeah, man. It feels like a movie. And it feels like um, super high budget. <laughs> yeah. And it was not. Okay. How the hell did you do that? Okay. Uh, <laughs> the song... I, I am so excited about the song. Um, again, I, I think it, it kind of lives in that in that paper walls era of music for us, where there's still some of that lights and sounds rock and rock feeling to it that we did carry over into. A lot of people, a lot of fans will say paper walls was sort of the best of both worlds of Ocean Avenue and lights and sounds. You got a sounds. lot of it's love like we from fans and writers. And yes, yeah, the, the record sort of they that. say, oh, this is like. This is the culmination of the sound you were looking for, right? I think Childhood Eyes has a lot of that. Um, I think lyrically, I, I pushed the bat limits a little bit of what people might be used to from us, from me. But I'm 43 years old now. I, you know, I, I hope no one's expecting me to write lyrics like I was writing right. when I was 23 years old because it's not going to happen. Uh, so I'm really pumped on on what the song is, what it means. And I'll tell you that this very rarely happens to me, but it has happened before. And this is completely true story. This song came to me very shortly after we talked about maybe making some music. I woke up in the middle of the night in my room, wife asleep, picked up my phone, opened my notepad, and just started writing the lyrics to this song. Wow. I had the melody. I had the I found, I found my childhood eyes in my head. I had that. And I started with that. And then and I, you know, I'm in that for 20 or 30 minutes. I'm like, I think I have a ver- there's a verse coming now. There's a- and I that very rarely happens to me. But so I typed a bunch of it out. It wasn't the final thing, obviously, yeah. but I got a lot of ideas down and never picked up a guitar, though. I, ne- I never put it to music. When we got to Austin, we had finished the skeleton of like four of the other ideas. And I was like, hey, guys, I have this thing. I, I have it in my head. I can hear it in my head, but I've never picked up a guitar to try to play along to it. And so they were like, well, let's, OK, let's do it. Let's do that. It was like 15 minutes. I mean, it was just like, oh, my God, boom, done, you know? And and uh, am I the I, only one with childhood eyes? So so I like that. So the song to me is it's what I tried to do with the lyrics for the song, and I think what woke me up is I've been personally on my own journey musically since the band broke up, and it has been the ultimate hustle of my life. You know, trying to not stop doing music to be able to you know pay my mortgage and just do music. It's been insane i've i've toured by myself i mean i went back to to in 2018 19 i had a a conline van with work gloves on and i was just humping all my gear opening for bands like touring on my own it was it was awesome it was hard you know because i'm a spoiled brat who's had a guitar tech for 15 20 years but um it was it was a grind um and throughout a lot of it i would find myself like i think one of my biggest mental health struggles was just my 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 feeling about the music business in general and so with the song, I tried to sort of personify that, the you in the song being music, the industry, the uh, the dream, you know? And so in the verses, a lot of that is about, I mean, I opened the song with, I'm all alone at the altar now. I've got an atheist heart. Yes. You know, yes. meaning like I'm not, I don't believe anymore. And then I've done this a lot, I think, in my songwriting throughout the years. I, a lot of times I'll turn those ideas on their head in the chorus though. And the chorus sort of talks about 
but I'm, I'm still here. I'm still in it. Am I the, am I the only one who still thinks this is possible? Yeah. You know, who still has faith that I can create and follow my dreams and succeed even this late in, in the game, you know? And so I, I, the, the song conceptually, lyrically, I, I think I'm really pumped on how I was able to get that out. Cause I wanted to say that I wanted to be like, God, this has been hard, but I still, you know, I still believe. Well, I'm going to play it on my show right now, by the way. It's going cool. to be on Out of Order. Enjoy, yes. everyone. Before we get to our next topic, we need a quick break for a game. Okay. And it's called the Ryan Key Game. Mm. So and that's in quotes. Okay. And it's rapid fire. Put on your thinking cap. Once again, a game on two and hot toast. Here, Here we, we go. go. And I'm still waiting for a game show deal. <laughs> this Florida area is a string of tropical islands. The Keys. The Florida Keys. This singer Keys has won 15 Grammy Awards and has me fallen. 15 Grammys? This singer Keys has won 15 Grammy Awards and has me fallen. Singer Keys. You could have had a pass. You're taking too long. Uh, pass. Dan and Patrick are two of the keys to this Howlin' For You band. Dude, Pass. This Ryan was a child actor in the Mickey Mouse Club and a quarterback in Remember the Titans. Ryan Felipe. No, Ryan Gosling. This Ryan co-owns a soccer team and a self, owns a cell phone company. Uh, um, uh, Ryan Reynolds. You want to go back to the ones you missed? What, this, the keys. Oh, I'll have one more. Uh, this Ryan went knives out directing Star Wars The Last Ryan Johnson. Jedi. Okay. Hold on. Key, like the last name of the singer is Keys and it's not Alicia Keys. Nope. Okay. And then, Cause you were like falling. Like that's, you said, that's how she sings. Uh, falling. I, I was getting like Nickelback vibes from that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to make these two. And then Dan and Patrick are two of the keys to this howling for you band. Howling for you. I don't know. The black keys. Oh yeah. See that's, I, I missed, I missed the whole like late 2000s, <laughs> 2010s. Like, like gritty Coachella rock. I just yeah, I missed that. That's okay. I missed that. How'd you like Sorry, the game guys. though? It's a good game, isn't it's it? It's really good. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> good. Do you get that yeah, one right? Yeah, well. very dude, those those questions were extremely uh, creative. That was really good. Who gave you your first guitar? My or how'd you get it? My uh grandmother my dad's mom, my nana, bought it for me for my twelfth birthday, I think. Did you ask for it? I did. I did because I wanted to learn how to play Dan and that chicka chicka Dan and Dan and And so that was it. Take you to a guitar, a music store. She, a music she did. Shop? She did. Uh, what was? Oh God! What was the name of the store? So had you ever played any instrument up until that time? I played. I played piano. Okay, but I quit when when I was nine. I quit. <laughs> I took lessons for like two years and quit, which is my. I I keep saying I live without regrets. That's the one. That oh, is. Really? That's my one regret. Is quitting piano lessons? Well, maybe they were teaching I love, songs you didn't want to know. I, how well, to it was just I, I, uh, so. I mean, still relevant in 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 my life at forty three years old. Like I just want to. I want to be able to do it right now. I don't. I I, you know what I mean? I, I want to make it. it. I want to create it. Yeah. Like I don't know how to. I, I can't like shred on guitar. I can't. I can't play like guitar well, solos because I was never really interested in playing guitar. I wanted to write songs. So whatever, like. The quickest means to be able to learn to make noise on the guitar to, to write a song to it. 
that's like, that was my process for learning guitar. Um, I even skipped when I was young, I skipped like learning other bands. All my friends were like learning every green day song, every smashing pumpkin song, every, I just wanted to start writing. So like when wow. you'd sit around with your friends and they'd go, let's jam this song. I still am kind of a deer in headlights. But the it's first just, song you wanted to learn was smells like teen spirit. Yes, yeah, I just wanted, I, I was like, this is, this is it. I grew up a pop kid. My parents weren't super musical they were they were i I love you mom dad but they were kind of yacht rocky you know like like florida you know we'd go out in the boat and and just listen to jimmy buffett and whatever else right there's nothing wrong with yacht rock dude i'm much i have but i I think yacht rock's not bad dude i have multiple (laughs) yacht rock playlists for like pool time and beach time okay so i get it i'm into it but they weren't like you know no no one in my young formative years was like Here's a Zeppelin record. Check this out. You know, I got so I, I didn't get any of that stuff. So I grew up watching MTV. Um, it's something I've always kind of stood by with like being in a pop band, like Yellow Card, like being a, in, a, in a more mainstream band. Like that's what I knew music was. So how was I to know that about like the independent, you know, you know what I mean? Like, right. I sort of right. was striving for that, what I saw on t- MTV and whatever from a very young age. But that said, I grew up on Michael Jackson and Madonna and Prince and 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 new kids on the block and whatever was po- you know and then into like Guns and Roses and Poison and like the when when the hair metal thing exploded on MTV but dude I don't know I was just like I said it was a perfect age you know starting to kind of come into adolescence and you hear Nirvana for the first time and you're just like shook you're just right what it what this is this is what I feel right now like you know I don't know why we were all so angry in the 90s but we were I thought right, it was also 90s kids. pretty interesting, at least from my vantage point, and maybe yours as well. We saw Nirvana on MTV, mm-hmm. but because there was no internet, I didn't know the struggle of Kurt Cobain early on and the things he went through in life. And For sure. He was the outcast, and all of a sudden he was the opposite of the outcast. He was the A-lister, and yep. how that was a real struggle for him. And I didn't really know much about depression back then and I, addiction. For sure. And all of that kind of for stuff. For sure. One one thing that I, I love about Kurt Cobain's story, the more you read about him as a person, and is that he, as far as the pieces I can put together – he kind of shared that thing I just mentioned. Like he, he kind of did want to be like a superstar, but he also hated the idea of being a superstar. It was this real right. inner struggle for him. Um, you know? And so I, I yeah, I, I got my, that first guitar because of that record just really opened my eyes to, to rock and roll. I think for the first time really making me feel something. You know what I mean? As as a pop kid growing up, I was dancing around the living room, you know, moonwalking. Right. But yeah, then yeah. this just made it. It was like an emotional response, as opposed to a a, a show business response. You know, a spectacle like "Wow, this is amazing!" is what you get from watching Thriller and you know all the, that stuff as a kid. This was like in my gut, like yeah, "Whoa, you felt what it. is this?" You know. So yeah, and then I, I so I got my first Epiphone Les Paul and the little crate combo amp you know and so did you get lessons on guitar straight away uh i got a chord book i learned how to play g c d e you know were you hooked on it yeah i was totally hooked on it you know writing really terrible 12 year old 13 year old songs on my guitar but then 
um, you know, and I'll, I'll go through this as quick as I can, but I, I had a really good friend who, who passed away uh, in 2001 that I grew up with. Um, we've uh, few, several songs, View from Heaven from Ocean Avenue I wrote for him when I was when I was young. It was just a couple years after he had died. But anyways, he was an insane drummer for his age. He was, you know, 15, 14 years old. What was his name? Scott Shad. Okay. Uh, we have a local band in Jacksonville called Inspection 12. Um, they're still making music now, but um, he was a drummer for them and our dads were business partners. Um, his dad owned the car dealership. My dad was like the VP of operations. So we worked our summer job crushing oil filters and stuff at, at our dad's car dealership. And, you know, we were just working, working, working was climbing up in the rafters and smoking cigarettes when we were like 16 years old, 15 years old, you know, but, um, he, one day he was like, and, and I'm a total, at this point, I'm a total grunge kid. I'm, you know, I'm still obsessed with, I, I think I moved from Nirvana more. The pumpkins were my thing. I, 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 Still, I mean, I just those. So at that time, of course, so you got Alice in Chains, Pearl Jam, Nirvana. I was Pearl Jam, Soundgarden, yeah. Smashing Pumpkins. Loved Pearl Jam. I was a big Pearl Jam fan, big Nirvana fan, big Pumpkins fan. Did, I, I was late. Now I'm a huge fan. I was late to Stone Temple Pilots and late to Soundgarden. Oh, Scott Weiland. Oh, yeah, man. Yeah, I was late to to those couple bands, but now I, I love them. Radio. I loved Radiohead too. I like the softer stuff too. I, I was in a Radiohead. Um, and I was still in like third eye blind the third, the third eye blind self-titled record is like so still good. top five records all time yep. for me. So Steven Jenkins I w- was here in that. It seat. was he came oh, right, over, on, yeah. right on. Uh, so I was diverse, you know, my palate was diverse in high school, but Scott brought me over to his house one day after work and inspection 12 was already playing, you know, no effects. They were doing that. And I had never heard that before. So I'm 16 years old. I come over for, for band practice and I'm like, what, what is this? And they were good. For, for high school kids, their Inspection 12 was an insane band. They were really talented. Tons of harmony, you know, all that skate punk 90s octave yep. harmony stuff on the guitars. I just was like, oh, my God. And it was like I might as well take in all of my, like, rock records that had formed me as a human and just threw them <laughs> in the trash. So I was like, what is this? I want to do this, you know. So Scott gave me a Propagandi record, a No Use for a Name record, and No Effects, Punk and Drublick, and said, "Try check these out. And so... For the remainder of high school, my like sophomore, junior, senior year, I, you know, I was in a band that was playing the faster kind of punky stuff. And um, were you the went, singer of that band? Yeah, okay. yeah. Um, we, I don't know how long we have to talk. I hated singing in a, in general, <laughs> but I liked singing on the weekends in a punk band with my friends. Okay. It was fun. Did you take any singing uh, lessons? No. So I was a, I was a theater kid. I, I, I my whole life studied theater. Went to a concert like a performing arts high school. I went was accepted into a bachelor of fine arts program for theater in college. That was my whole life plan was to, to not music was not my life plan and not what I was aspiring towards when I was that age. So on the weekends, whatever, but like at my school, Douglas Anderson school, of the arts in Jacksonville, we had to do a musical every year. And you know, I was, I was, I mean, you don't want to sit here and be like, I was good, but I did all the shows in high school. I was in it. I was, I was in it and I was working really hard and I was learning and I was super into it, but I hated musical theater. And I've told the story in a lot of interviews, but to just to tell you how real that is in like 2006 or seven, I made final callbacks for Green Day for American Idiot on Broadway. No way. Not for the Broadway show, but for the for the initial like yeah. testing. Yeah, I made final callbacks. So I'm reading for the writers, producers. Everyone. I mean, when you make a final, it's I've done it a couple times. Um, I made a movie one, two once, which was really crazy. But um, they're they're all in there. It's super overwhelming because the other auditions was just like one person. Now it's they're all there. You're 
performing A plus level. There's a band. The I had 10. to sing Green what Day song? songs. What song were you singing? I had to do. Well, they had they picked them, so I had to do Saint Jimmy and American oh. Idiot. Oh, I love both of those. Okay. And so I had to do those in front love of them Saint with Jimmy. a band, yeah. and then I had to do a monologue, and I had to choose the monologue from stuff they gave too. I didn't get to pick my own. So they did you called have it memorized. N- did or I were then? You on book? Yeah. No, I did. I had it memorized then. Memorize. Yeah. Okay. But so and this is I had I had dropped out of college and started playing in a band, which uh, the story's going all over the place now because I didn't get into the college I wanted to go to and I was a brat. And so I was like, mom and dad, I'm dropping out. And I started playing in a band and then we were playing the VMAs and I didn't know how to sing. And that's kind of where this was all going. I hated singing. So um, it was never (laughs) supposed to be that big of a responsibility for me. Uh, But anyways, they called and they were like, if this was a straight play, he, I mean, he was, he's in amazing to see that he's able to do that, whatever, but he just doesn't have the voice for this. And it's like, I'm like, yes, that's what I've been trying to tell you guys. Like, so uh, it wasn't until after Lights and Sounds and a lot of alcohol and substance abuse and really dark Mm. days and growing a massive cyst on my vocal cord and having that operated on that I got sober for a year, quit smoking cigarettes after 10 years of smoking a pack a day since I was like 15. All that stuff started taking vocal lessons, not for the first time until 2006 or seven was the first time I ever was like, let's maybe see. How it is that right. when you're singing in front of 2,000 people, you should be, or more, when you're doing an awards show or whatever, how you should sing. So I finally figured that out. Um, and, and how and, much has that helped you? How oh much my, did it oh help my, you? Dude, absolute game changer. It's, it's still, people are like, what? But it's still not my favorite thing to do. Full disclosure, singing is but not my job, favorite activity. I just want to go over what your job is. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. Singer. I know. Songwriter. Yes, musician. I'm well aware. I'm well aware. Uh, it's still not my favorite thing only because it is still very challenging for me. You know, like you, we just talked about Alicia Keys. She probably doesn't even warm up. She just walks in a room and just rips and wails, you know, and I've had friends like that through my life in music that do that are big, massive, multi-platinum selling pop stars. And you go to their show and they're backstage like just chilling with a cocktail. They're like, oh, I'm on. And they go out and crush, you know, I cannot do any of that, especially now. I mean, I used to and I would lose my voice every third show. But now, I mean, I'm just I have to be so vigilant about how I care for it, how I take care of it, how I rest it. And so that that's really why. I mean, I know I'm I'm not complaining. I'm obviously right. I am so no, grateful for yeah. what I get to do for a living. But it's it's a lot of work to maintain, which is what makes it sort of the least fun aspect of what I do. But Ryan, I bet if you were, I've had a lot of people in this chair, and I think we believe it's so easy for everybody. But behind the scenes, everybody's going through just a little bit. Yeah, if it's their voice, they need to warm up more, or maybe yeah. they get nervous on stage. There's anxiety. The whole thing. I think. The great people like Alicia Keys, whoever it is, you, you just make you, you make it look easy when you're out there. Yeah, but for sure. behind the scenes, it's a lot. It's a lot of work. It's a lot. So we, our summer tour starts um, in July, and I, I'm already yes. I'm all, right now. I, I warm up every day, even though I'm not playing a show. You know, I'm just. Are you get, doing the Ocean just, Avenue album in full? No, we're not. Okay, we're not, we're not. I mean, we're probably playing over half of it, um, but we're not doing the whole album. But yeah, I'm, I'm already in the routine of warming up every day just to get back in the groove and get good, my vocal cords you. moving, you know? Um, and those are the things I've, I've learned over the years. And yes, starting to take, uh, I have to give credit, Eric Vitro. Uh, he's a very popular, very, you know, world-renowned vocal coach here in LA. And the guy, yeah, he changed my life. I mean, he changed my life. He, he really he really taught me what, what I was capable of and, you know, taught me how to, like, if you watch a, a, a video, I won't watch it because I can't. I can't stand listening to myself on late night television in 2004, but if you want to watch it, I, I'm singing ocean Avenue like this, like, like just, you can, I mean, I'm just 
just getting it as hard as I can strain it out. Yeah. And now I can just sing it like this, like I'm talking to you. You know, I didn't know how to do that. I didn't know that it was all up here and how to bring it out uh, from the right place. And so, I, you know, I can make it through a tour much more successfully now um, without without losing my voice. And that's great. And in the studio, too. You know, I'm just more comfortable and Good. I have more control over Good what, for I'm, you, man. what I'm doing. Put, you're putting in the work. Yeah, man. You gotta. <clears throat> uh, let's rewind to the album Motion Avenue, but specifically the song. What do you remember about writing that song and recording it? Mm-hmm. Um. Similar experience to Childhood Eyes, actually. Uh, I had that. I had those lines in a, in a notebook. At least there's a place off Ocean Avenue where I used to sit and talk with you. I, you know, the, the beginning of that, I had it in there. The the song itself itself was sort of born in. Um, you know, nowadays if we demo a song in pre production, we're sitting in a room like this with a laptop, and we just, you know, here's our drums. These are our drums now. Right. But back then, we would go to the swing house for eight weeks. Uh, you know, in Hollywood, set up live and write all the music. Um, which you can still do. And I think would probably be pretty cool to do again sometime, but it's just so nice now to be able to like change things on the fly when you're demoing and whatever the technology we have. But the song was born from, um, the, the drum beat and the guitar coming up with that initial rhythm that you hear in the song. And that allowed me to bounce that rhythm off that rhythm. FYI, I still can't, I can't play and sing that rhythm. (laughs) It's too syncopated. I can't. I can't go dun 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 and sing it at the same time. Really? Yeah. So I do the. I go. I do that part. But again, guitar playing, whatever. I just want to write songs. So yeah, but but the thing, and I some some people know this. This has definitely been talked about before. But the song, very, very much. Almost didn't go on the album. I know that. I know it almost didn't go on the album. We give did not. Me the, give me the Reader's Digest version. Why it so, almost didn't get on so the So I album. had this chorus, and t- I'm so mad that I can't remember. And the only person I thought might remember is my friend Pete Mosley, who was the bassist and, yes. and songwriter at that at that time, right. during that time in the band. And I, I'm pretty sure I've asked him, and he was like, oh, I know what you're talking about, but I can't remember either. It was either uh, like a Cindy Lauper song or a, um, give me another like eighties female group. Stephane? No, oh, a group. What was the um? Uh, en Vogue. Oh, <laughs> that's nineties. What am I thinking of? The Go Go's? Uh, no, no. It's like names. It's like two or three names. Oh, uh, Salt and Peppa. <laughs> <laughs> Belvive Devoe. That's it. Um, no, but anyway, I can't remember. But I had a melody for the chorus, and you know, Ocean Avenue is one of the only songs in our entire discography. That is just the same chords, over, you know, with or without you style. Same yes, chords over yes, and over yes, again. Yes, yes, yes. Um, with or without you doesn't even have a bridge. It's literally the same chords, the whole entire song masterpiece. But anyways, so it's just going from the verse to the same same chords, which is challenging. Um, I think if unless you're Bono and he probably wrote that in one sitting and just had all of those melodies like just done. Like, well, when you have the edge but, yeah, involved for sure. as well. Uh, so so I, I, I had this melody at the swing house while we were playing it. And everyone was just like. You can't do that. Like, you can't do that melody. That's this song, you know? And it was. I mean, it was like note for note, whatever song. And I can't remember what it was. But it was some 80s female pop song. Okay. And so, okay, I can't do that. Well, I, we had to, we moved on and we kept working on the other 12 songs on the album and pre-pro and stuff. And, you know, we had the music mapped out for, for Ocean Avenue. Get in the studio, get all the way through it, track the verses, 
And I mean, we had like five days left or something. And it was really five days left. On the sixth day, another band was coming into Sunset Sound, into the room we were in. You had to be done. And I kept throughout the process, I would keep coming in. Shout out to Neil Avron, our producer, one of the biggest mixers in the game now. I mean, if right. he was a number one song on pop radio, I bet Neil mixed it. Did you it. work with him on the new songs or no? Yes, we did. You did? Yeah, so it I can, all came around. Let's yeah. be patient. Let's finish this story, yeah. though. Um, <laughs> so uh, he, I would come in and I'd be like, what about this? No, nah, it's just not. That's not it. What about this? Well, that's not it. And one day... And if you ever want to know like stories of why sometimes the rest of the band is like the lead singer of the band, someone else was tracking something, whether it was a guitar or Sean was playing violin or something. And I came in and was like, what about this? If I could find you now, things would get better. And Neil was like, sorry, whoever was recording, you're record- go in there right now and do that. You know what I mean? Like, like go sing right, right now. So apologies to whoever I cut off. I can't remember who it was, but I went in there and I sang it right away and that was it. But we were at zero hour. I mean, we had three or four days or something left. And if I hadn't walked in there, we were going to finish it later and it was going to be a B-side. B-side. Isn't that crazy? Wow. I know. So Neil telling you to get in there immediately and you come on up at that that second is the reason that it was able to get on the album. Yeah. So now I have back-to-back questions here. The first one is, where did you shoot the video for that song? Because I lo- for Ocean Avenue, yes. Oh man, what here a- in L.A.? Yeah, yeah. Around? Like out by the Sixth Street Bridge, where everybody shoots bridge scenes. You know, right. John Wick. Yes, every, every, yes, yes. If you're in a yes, car yes. chase, drive with Gosling. Like, yep. always going over that bridge. Ryan Gosling, there you <laughs> so, go, <laughs> <laughs> my dude. Um, we yeah, we shot it out there. You know, there was um uh, oh oh, we shot where did there was like an old abandoned hotel or something over there that we shot the interior stuff. And um, I think we shot at that. What's it called? Do you know what it's called? There's a big old like hospital hotel type building that is abandoned that film sets use all the time. We shot rough landing Holly there too. Oh, you did Mm -hmm. same director. So we shot there too, but yeah, that, that video, man, we worked with Mark Webb, you know, who went on to be a, a feature film director. Um, and we went through this with Childhood Eyes with this video too, which is funny. I've just been talking about this with people. One thing that I have always, I, I think like a shortcoming of mine in the band has always been the initial idea for visuals. What do you want the album cover to be? I'm like a deer in headlights. I, I, just, I don't know why. I don't, it's just, I don't have it, you know? Uh, video is the same thing. Like, what do you, what do you think a concept for this video would be? I, I don't know. But as soon as a director comes up with a treatment that, you know, is like the one, which by the way, hasn't happened in almost 20 years. This, this, this video that you're talking about childhood eyes, in my opinion, is the best video we've made since rough landing Holly in 2006. I think everything in between that is, I don't even know why I'm bringing it up because now people are going to go watch it and I don't want you to watch it. Well, watch the um, childhood eyes video, so, exactly. which we discussed exactly. earlier in the so, pod. And my, my point with that being is, is I got this treatment and was like, whoa then i turn on i'm I'm a huge film per i like i'm currently on the side from yellow card trying to get into film like composing for film and tv that's really what i'd like to be doing when i'm old and gray um and so i, I you know i'm i'm just a cinephile I, I i watch everything and so i saw it and then you know when I, in my head when i read it and that then i go into like hyper creative mode 
then I, I'm like, what if we do this? What if we do that? What if we, you know? And so we worked with um, my friend Jordan Phoenix, who is based in St. Louis. And I don't know if anyone out there has seen the video for War uh, from Story of the Year from their new album. Okay, yeah. It's super fun. I mean, it it's like a high, it's like a heist thing and they're all wearing like disco 70s costumes and there's machine guns and kung fu fights and right it's amazing and i know that story of the year doesn't have half a million dollars to make a video either they're they're like my some of my closest friends in music and so i'm like how did you do that and uh they were like well we did it with our friend jordan here in in phoenix or in uh, st louis he's um you know he's just a really cool filmmaker and whatever so i was like Please give me his number. So I did. I sent him the song. Yeah. And I was like, I don't really have any ideas, man. But I, I think, you know, based on that video, I would love to work with you because I think you can you can squeeze a lot out of, a, you know, a 2023 budget for a video. Um, and he came back to me with this this idea of us like being held ca- held captive by you know our younger selves right. and yeah. and and he kind did of an fighting to job, escape. As did you guys? It's so cool, man! I'm so excited about it. Uh, there's a little Easter egg in there too that I'm really pumped on. If you notice, all the little kids who are yes. playing the guards, they have that that lamb uh, on their arms. The, there's a patch with a little white lamb on okay. it, which is the same lamb from the briefcase in the Ocean Avenue oh, Rough Landing Holly videos. Oh, nice. So. Okay. Yeah. yeah, and we always sort of equated that, like, because was like, "What's in the briefcase?" Uh, Pulp Fiction style, right? And I think the closest thing I could ever come up with to sort of say, "Well, it can be whatever you want it to be," but I always thought it was sort of like our my innocence sort of being in there. You know, that's in Ocean Avenue. That's like what was being stolen. You know, and in Rough Landing Holly, it's gone. And you know, Lights and Sounds, it's it's gone. It's the case is open. It's already it's let out of the box. You know, um, and so these kids are kind of holding us hostage with that sort of. Uh, that badge of innocence on them and and yeah just brought it so all cool around, man it's, so cool it's very very cool um what is the place off ocean avenue though we just learned recently now i'm drawing a bl- of what for under the bridge chili peppers what bridge where oh. is the bridge in la finally revealed maybe like seven years ago now right what's the place off ocean avenue um so when i uh, I told you, I, I mentioned this earlier that I was a college dropout. I'm a two-time college dropout. I'm, okay. I like to say I'm an overachiever. Um, but during that time I was, I was in Tallahassee, Florida at Florida state university. And then I would go back to Jacksonville and, um, and then I had this very interesting blip where I took all my scholarship money in my car and moved to Santa Cruz, California and was playing in this tiny little band called Craig's brother who was, who were on tooth and nail records. Okay. I remember tooth and nail records, MXPX and yes. you know, back in the day. Yeah. So I played with them for like eight or nine months in 2000, uh, or I'm sorry, in 1999, but it didn't work out and I ran out of money and, you know, came home and went back to school, whatever. But during that time, um, I was still really close with all my friends from high school and I would, I would be out in, in, in Jack's beach, uh, Jacksonville beach, my parents decided to move to the beach after I left home. So I grew up like deep in town. I leave home. My sister gets to go to high school, like across from the ocean. Uh, uh, cool. Thanks guys. Right, yeah. So when I was coming home at 1920, they were living at the beach. So it was just kind of, it is sort of a generalization for that time and that place. And I think I wrote that song. A lot of that album, obviously ocean Avenue is about, um, us leaving home, us f- following dreams and heading west and all the things that we did. So that song is kind of just about moments and places and time with friends uh, and experiences like, you know, where we would, do, I mean, simplified, we're just hanging out. We're just hanging out, you know, 
drinking cold beers on the beach at three o'clock in the morning together. And one day that all has to end and you have to leave, you know? Yeah. Um, and so ocean Avenue is actually ocean Boulevard on the map in Jacksonville beach or in, in Atlantic beach, yeah. Florida. Uh, but uh, Avenue rhymed better. So I just changed it. So you changed ocean Avenue. Yeah. Who are some of the bands early on when your first joined yellow card mm-hmm. bands that had some success that took you guys out and you're mm-hmm. like, Oh my God, we're touring with these guys. Oh man. I mean, so cool. I mentioned that I spent that latter part of, of my teenage years really getting into um, the warp tour scene, no effects strung out, no use for a name, lag wagon, bad religion, all the, all that stuff that was happening at that time. And so early on 2001, two and three, we got to tour with both Lagwagon and No Use for a Name, who at the time were rock and roll royalty to us. You know, we weren't thinking like VMAs and radio, and that wasn't those weren't things that were in our vocabulary at the time. So this was just like we're going on tour with Fat Records bands. We've made it. Right. This is it. Right. Um. So Fat Mike, Fat with his fabric. Yeah. 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 So that gave us um, a lot of experience on the road. It gave us the opportunity to learn from, you know, some real road dogs. I think it really helped our early touring career that we didn't go out with like some like massive arena or stadium or whatever, you know, with catering and the the thing, because we were still going out with guys who had spent their, you know, they were 10 years older than us. So they'd already been through this van and trailer life. And, and, you know, we just learned so much from how to, how to work with a crew and how to run a show properly in a small venue. And, um, were you achieving your goals then at that time? You're on the road, you're touring. Absolutely. Absolutely. I I think we had, we could say, I could say that we maybe had one real clear cut goal, which was to like be on the main stage at the warp tour someday. And obviously we, we quickly achieved that after we got going, but that was pretty much in our minds. That was the top of the mountain. Um, how fast did it go for you guys from some people knowing who you are to Mm -hmm. a lot of people? Because I'm thinking back and I was right there. Yeah. I watched it happen. I was playing the music early on, but it's hard for me to put, you know, when things are happening, you don't make a note. Remember every millisecond of this. Correct. So give me like kind of the year, the months and how it all went, how that went down where you all of a sudden went to a different level. Big broad broad brushstrokes. I'm pretty good at remembering okay. small small things. It was uh yeah <laughs> yeah. I like I like to party back then. So it's just it's a little foggy. Um, but uh, fast, so so fast. So we moved out to California. So it'd be my second time moving out to California to do music again. You know, I had come home. I started playing with Yellow Card. I think they were really pumped on the idea that I had already done this once and kind of had I had played with them XPX and I had. Right. Played with slick shoes and some of the bands that we, these tooth and nail bands that we liked. And so, I don't know, I just had some insight into like, hey, if you guys want to, I know it's crazy, but we can move. You know, I made some friends out there. We can move out there, crash on their couch, figure out where we're going to live, do it. And that's that's literally how we did it. Uh, but we got this tiny little record deal in 2000, the summer of 2000. So we came out here in like October, November of 2000, recorded our, the, f- the first little independent record we made. Um, and then by January we were all living in sort of central California area, which is where I had met some people when I, when I was out here in 99. And so through, through 2000 and, and the beginning early part of 2001, we, we were touring on that first little independent record. And by touring, I mean, we were on our me- uh, yellow card rock.com message board saying, can we play at your house or can we play, you know, it was like, Things where you'd like show up to the venue and it, doors were locked, no one was there. So some kid would be like, I have a storage unit. We could go play there, you know, <laughs> stuff like that. Right. And so that was happening in like 2000, early 2001. 
Um, and then I think it was, it was like spring, if I'm remembering right, 2001, we sold out our first show at Chain Reaction in Anaheim. Wow. And so it was like 300 people or something, you know, because we had been playing, we had been hitting a like- great venue also. The best, best. We, yeah. we had been hitting so Southern California really hard, playing uh, as many shows we could open for anyone. So we had gotten enough in Orange County to where a couple hundred people would come see us, you know? And so we did that. And that was right around the time that Corey Christopher, our booking agent, um, again, she's my, she's like two years older than me, maybe she's my age. And, um, so she was a young agent that was just, she had worked with, um, uh, Stormy who booked Warp Tour and, oh, yeah. and a lot of those, those yes. punk bands that we've been talking yep. about. She had just kind of split off to start her own shop and she had rise against and the mad caddies and a couple of other bands. And she was like, do you guys want to go on tour this fall with rise against? And I'll, I'll be your booking agent, you know, like came to see us wow. play at that chain show yeah. or around it or whatever. And of course we were like, yes, yes, we want that. So we didn't have a manager or anything at the time. It was still just us doing everything and Corey. So we went out and did our tour with rise against. We had since gotten a manager, which is a story for another time. Uh, Cause that was just a wild, crazy people ending up in prison story. It's just, just crazy time, but not, none of us, but, the, the manager. Uh, so anyways, you we can't just throw that out there. And not I know, but, uh, but I don't want to, I don't, I don't like to, you know, it's like their personal life. I don't, it's like, I didn't, but we had a manager who ended up going to jail Okay, and it was really weird. Uh, but do you write before, him letters now? I no, mean, no. I haven't talked, I haven't okay. spoken to him. All right. But before that happened, right before it happened, just to give you the timeline, we recorded in November of 2000, our first little independent record deal. We signed our deal memo, like our intent letter of intent, with Capitol Records in April of 2002. Okay. So it was like, boom. So they knew of one for the kids. And, and our touring. And they knew The touring. touring. That's all they cared they about. they said, we want to be in business with yes. these gentlemen. They, they and were. they give you a deal? The, yes. They get, so, so it was, you know, we signed like the short form thing. And then we right. spent the summer of 02 going through the contract and getting that all done. Uh, ended up getting, <clears throat> ended up, uh, or sorry, sorry. I, I messed this up. The, the the jail thing didn't happen until 2003 on the eve of yellow. Of and Ocean I don't want to make light of that, by the way, because I don't know what it was. No, no, yeah, it's it's, so. it's fine. But the 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 mishap with our our first manager didn't happen until 2003, right on the eve of Ocean Avenue releasing. Oh so God. that's right, that's right. It was even gnarlier than that. So, um, but all that to say, super grateful to this person because he helped. He got us our capital deal. He was an amazing dude. It was just an unfortunate series of events. Um, but anyways, in 2003, we recorded, you know, so a year later, we recorded Ocean Avenue and uh, we signed with um, Spivak Sobel's uh, management. So Arthur Spivak was our manager at that time. He was just a legend, amazing. Um, and, and that was it. So we were, we were in a van and trailer in 2002 and we were on our first tour bus April 1st of 2003. I mean, it was just wow. like overnight. Wow, and you got songs on the radio and the videos. yeah, way way away hit the, hit the radio and and the and way away was that the, summer the single before Ocean Avenue. Yeah, that, that hit that summer in two thousand three. So we, I remember sitting on the bus watching the video for the first time on MTV it's all together. Ryan, 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 you're telling me all these stories. Everyone's watching and listening. <laughs> I thought at times like God, these guys just they're a band, and then all of a sudden they're on the radio. But the struggle. Or the work, not the struggle. Yeah. The work you guys put in was real. It wasn't necessarily overnight. 
you were working hard and you were writing your songs. Yeah, we were playing probably in 2002. You're the, you're, yeah, that's, right, sorry, in, in 2002 and three, this. we were probably playing, I'm not exaggerating, like 300 shows a year. Wow. A, a lot of times we were playing two in a day because we figured out a method where we could go to high schools. We would contact okay. the principals at local high schools and ask them if we could come in and play in the lunchroom at lunch hour. And so we would just show up and none of these kids knew who we were or what was going on, but we would bring a P, our little PA on sticks into the lunchroom, set up, rip a gig, yeah. pack up, drive to the venue and play the show that night. We oh were doing that God. year round for a couple of years. Wow. And you have created a lot of songs with ye- mm-hmm. under the yellow card umbrella. Yeah. It's just not two albums. That's like for you, seven or eight or nine even, right? Yeah. This, this, I mean, if you count, we did an EP um, right in between the independent record and Ocean Avenue, uh, Capital sort of wanted to do a transitional thing and not have us just jump from the indie to the major overnight. Um, I, I don't know that that matters anymore, but back then there was a stigma still with the major right. labels and the, like you're, you're my band and now it's not cool anymore. Kind of all that stuff, which I understand. But so we put out an EP on fueled by ramen that was licensed to them on the way up to ocean Avenue. So if you count that one and then these five songs, I think that I've been a part of were at nine records, I think. Wow, good so, for you, man couple it's more crazy. things because we've been here 58 minutes going at this wow, already. Sorry, I talked. No, much. no, it's good. I talked this is good. Hold on. Okay. <laughs> you love Star Wars? I do. How's the podcast going? Really good, man. And what's the official name of it? Thank the Maker. Okay. Uh, so I, uh, my longtime dear friend, Adam Russell, the bassist of Story of the Year. Yes. I mean, we are just thick as thieves. Okay. Man, and um, we both love it to a, a, an unhealthy degree, you know props to my wife for just letting me be who I am going to be, you know? Um, and, and to Adam's wife too, too. She's amazing. Uh, but we, we were talking about doing some kind of pop culture podcast for a long time, just something like covering movies, video games, stuff, nerdy, the nerdy stuff we love. And I came to the realization like, dude, I don't think I have the bandwidth to cover all some, all that stuff. What if we just did star Wars and, he was like, yeah, okay, that sounds cool. So we just we just sat and talked for a couple hours on the first episode and threw it up. And we've been doing it for almost four years now. How many episodes have you done, roughly? Um, I need, that's all right. More I, than I need, 200? Uh, uh, close to it. Close to it. That's, close to that's it. a good, that's a great run. Close to it. And so we also have, uh, we, we brought in after 10 or so episodes, we brought in our friend Nick Gambarian, who plays bass for, I'm surrounded by bassists, so I can't get away from uh <laughs> For Bayside, okay, um, yeah. he is just an encyclopedia of Star Wars. I mean, we're we're in it, dude. Like I we I just went to London for Star Wars celebration and spent. Did you all, dress up all three days? Full kits, full cosplay that I make myself. I do. I mean, it's same character it's, each day. No, I I kind of do my own thing. I don't okay. do like uh, screen care. I don't I don't do like on screen characters. I kind of just make my own rad like vibe. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. stuff. So. Uh, yeah, you know, I mean, I have a rack of lightsabers and blasters and all this stuff, art, artwork and everything at home. I mean, I'm, I'm a, I who's love the it. best Star Wars so, character of all time? I'm a Yoda man. Myself. Yoda. Okay, who's second then? Uh, well, it's, it's a complicated question. From a lore standpoint, Anakin. Okay. From a filmmaking Is standpoint, Anakin Darth Vader. Yes. Okay. Yeah. From a filmmaking standpoint, I'm not the biggest fan of the prequel films. Uh, I've learned to appreciate and love them a lot more through doing the podcast. Are the prequel films from the 70s? No, the nine, they're the 90, oh, the 99, 2003, and which are the first ones that ever came out. Right. So through doing the podcast, one of the things that I've enjoyed the most is we try to create a space for fans 
that is very positive. You know, come here because you love this thing that you love. If there's things that you don't like, we could talk about those and we can, but we don't make, we don't make content about what sucks. We make content about what is, what's amazing about the phenomenon that this, this fandom has grown over the last 40 years and that we're still a part of it. You know, so the prequels pre podcast, I was probably would have been a pretty vocal hater. Now having Nick and Adam and the discussions that we have, like I've learned so much about the making of the films and you know, what the, what they've, the actors have been through. They got so much backlash because the right. it's just, I've learned so much. And like, it's given me a whole new respect for the films themselves. And like, I'm able to sort of go, okay, well, you know, to use a star Wars line from a certain point of view, um, this is a, you know, it, it's an, it's just a different experience. And for the kids who were 10 years old in 1999, those are their movies, you know, just like the original movies are our, our movies. Right. So, um, it's just been really fun, man. I, I, I love, we're traveling, you know, we've had, insane guests on the show we i mean real star wars people have come on the show that's great um good and yeah it's just it's just been amazing so it's we're we're on youtube now um for, we just started doing youtube a couple of weeks ago and we're gonna really try to hammer that and grow that i think that's like the next phase of the evolution of it um but everywhere you listen to podcasts it's just called thank the maker and check it out what's the best star wars movie ever you have one choice, the best one. Uh, I, I'm an Empire Strikes Back. Empire Strikes Back guy. Okay. But I will say that um, 2015 Rogue One, it, the, the the Star Wars story, sort of the off, like the side story movie. Yeah. Starring um, Diego Luna. It, it, dude, I, you can't say that's the best movie because it's like not in the, the, the nine, you know, Skywalker movies. But it's so good. It's it's a very close second for Will me. Will you ask me one trivia question about Star Wars as I'm not an expert that I should know? And let's see if I can get one right. Because I've seen the movies. Okay. But I'm not an expert. And I like them. I like the movies. I like the characters. But I'm not a trivia buff. Okay. Um, Nothing too crazy that's deep. That's what I'm saying. I think I might need to stay a little bit surface and, you, yes. and you'll get it. Yeah. So who is Princess Leia's father? Darth Vader. There you go. Okay. There you go. See? Okay. Anakin Skywalker. Yes. Correct. All right. Hell yeah. Okay. I feel good about that. Who, who is her mother? Her mother, uh, Carol Brady? No. I don't know. Who's the mother? <laughs> Natalie Portman played Padme Amidala. Oh, God. Okay. Yeah. Damn. Sorry, But that everybody. was the prequel. That's prequel stuff. Okay. So. Um, can you explain, because I can't, if somebody is a fan of a band, mm-hmm. big time fan, mm-hmm or a fan of a series or like Star Wars, Mm -hmm. why they show hate so loud so everybody can see it when they really love the product. Mm -hmm. Something we talk about on the podcast so, so much. Um, And obviously something I have a lot of personal experience with being in a band for 20 years. I think what it really boils down to is they're just the loudest voice in the room. And I think if you look at, at, I mean, the band is almost even a better example, but Star Wars definitely suffers from this. There are, it's just a fact, there are less negative comments and posts online than there are positive. And for that reason, they get they, they get amplified. They get sought out because if you're just reading the same thing all the time, you know what I mean? Like, it's, it's like, I, I think that they just get amplified. That's what I think because... Most people, and I and I say this because Star Wars, for example, I just got back from London. I went to Star Wars Celebration. It's 
a magical experience where you are surrounded by literally thousands of people who love Star Wars. Where, what, where is that? Where is that hate? Right. Where is this toxic fandom? They're yeah. on, they're, they're behind their keyboard. You know, I saw you um, tweet about something the other day, like salty keyboard. Well, so the, uh, the Galactic Star Cruiser, which was like the two night experience, immersive experience at Disney World, which I've done and was, don't tell my wife, but three of the best days of my entire life, <laughs> if not the best three days of my life. Um, me and Adam and Nick and a bunch of our friends went, you know, we're, That's we're 40 year old awesome, dudes man. in That's dressed cool. up in full costume, like running yeah. around with all the, all the kids, all the little kids on the ship were, you know, we're fighting them with our lightsabers. Right. And we're just, it's like, we're 10 years old again. It's yeah. the best. So anyways, they're, they're closing it, um, for, for many, many reasons. Um, they were always struggling with the price point, how to make it sustainable and pay the cat. Cause it's not just your normal Disney cast members that they're, they're performing nonstop. They get no breaks. They're on for three days straight. They're in character. It's a, it's a big production. And so the price point was high and that was always a problem. Um, but we've talked about, we've broken it down on the podcast a hundred times. If you, if you split it with people, the, you know, the cabins sleep five people. If you split it with, with four other people, tell me, you can go to Disney world for less than 1200 bucks for three days with hotel food, park passes. And it's just, you just want to hate it. Just want to hate it. Right. Like it's one of the most right. prime examples of people hating something they never even did. You know, they never even, and I saw, so when it closed, I, I noticed for the first time, so many people saying I could have afforded to go, but it's Disney and it's the sequel trilogy era and it sucks. And I don't want to do it. And it's like, dude, that's the, that's just the climate we live in now. Like pe- people just want to be angry because they have a, they can say they're angry, right? you know? Yeah. And it's just, it's just unfortunate. I, I just don't understand. Cause um, sometimes I'll have a guest on the podcast and they get so much love and the views on YouTube are through the roof. But mm-hmm. then of course, within hundreds of comments, there's like 10 of the most mean yep. comments about the new music they happen to yep. be making. Yep. And, and they're not the same guy or girl, 25 years old. They're now 40 year olds or maybe even like 50 year olds. Yeah. And I think a lot of people have a hard time and I still can't wrap my head around it. They're not making music as 25 year olds. Uh, they, their taste is different. I know. And their life and the way they see the world is ninety nine point nine 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 percent different. I know, and it's been a it's been a a, um, a, a long um, and I think now successful learning process for me to to to, to tune that out. Um, Good, because we've dealt with it a lot. And one thing that I also try to do now is, is I can't I can't say well I think this way, so you should think this way. But I can say how I think, you know. And for me, one thing that I think Yellow Card has struggled with for so many years is the fact that we haven't always been the same lineup. And I know we're not the only band to suffer from this, but we have always uh, maintained a policy of not airing that laundry in public. And, and we do that for a reason. Like we don't want to harm the reputation of the people that are no longer uh, working with us anymore. And the idea that we just, you know, I think a lot of times it mostly falls on Sean and I, cause we're sort of the original, you know, the last remaining original members that we are just these evil vindictive. We're just going to wake up today and decide you don't get to be here anymore. Just no reason. Just you're out. That's been such a common thing that, you know, that's like assumed. And it just blows my mind that like that people don't have the capacity to think, to stop, take a beat and think there must, there must be something going on that has led to this decision, you know, but I say all that just to say that as a fan of music myself, and again, 
not saying anyone else needs to think this way. I, I just get the record. I just get the records and listen to them. I don't, uh, you know what I mean? Like, could I tell you who's been playing guitar or bass for the pumpkins for the last 20 years? Nope. Maybe that's just not the kind of music fan I am. Right. But at the end of the day, if the smashing pumpkins are still a band and they're putting out music, I listen to the music. If you know what I mean? Like, and I think that goes for, for any band I've ever loved. And many of them have changed members a ton of times. And so yeah, I'll never, I'll, I'll never understand it. I'll never understand the sort of entitlement, uh, that your personal lives, um, and the decisions that need to be made to maintain your mental health, your career, yeah. uh, belong to the, the, the fans we do, you know, everything we do is for, is for fan. We, we make music, we play shows. We, we are, we are passionate about the people that support our band. We love them more than anything in the band. It's the most important thing. We wouldn't be, I wouldn't be sitting here. We didn't have people who like to listen to our music and support us. But the idea that, you know, our personal lives, and again, you just said it, I think anyone who sat in this chair would echo this sentiment, belongs to someone other than me. It just always has blown my mind. Uh, Without airing Dirty Laundry, and then we're getting out of here. (laughs) Because everyone's older and is, I assume, more mature, Mm -hmm. have any relationships previous with guys that have been part of yellow card do you text do you talk do you say hey how are you or is it pretty or is it done uh pete pete and i have gotten to be very close and that means a lot to me because we grew up we were we were high school friends we were we were really close and we went through a lot just together out out of the five members of the band he and i we really went through a lot through that ocean avenue lights and sounds time um and when we did, we had a, 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 you know, a not great ending to, to his time in the band. We had quite a a falling out. So his relationship is really meaningful to me. And like the fact that, you know, he's given me the opportunity to, uh, do the work and, and repair. Um, and you know, I, I've tried to do the same and I I think I'm, I'm really, I'm really happy that we've been able to rekindle our friendship. And I live, I live back home in Jacksonville now for the first time in 25 years. And, um, so we spend, you know, we spend a lot of time together and it's just great. So, um, yeah, that's, that's, that's the one person that for me that I've been able to, uh, mend, mend the fences, you know, and it's, it's awesome. Good for you. I'm inspired by the work you've put in on yourself to continue to attempt to do it for me. Hope everyone enjoyed the episode. Have a great tour. Thanks, man. 20 years of Motion Avenue, a longer year than 20 years that you've had. We Congrats on everything that you've accomplished. Dude, this tour, just before we go really yeah. quick, I, we can't believe it, man. Just to everyone out there who has bought a ticket to these shows, I not misusing the word. These are literally the biggest shows we've ever played and how that makes sense. I don't understand. You know, uh, we're, we're playing, I mean, it, we've sold almost 8,000 tickets in Jacksonville, Florida, where it, that's, wow. I, I can't bro. I can't <laughs> get my head around it. We're playing these amphitheaters, you know? And when they first said, we'd like you to come do an amphitheater tour, we were all like, are you out of your mind? We haven't played a show in seven years. Like we broke up because we were having trouble selling tickets. Like, what are you talking about? And it is just, I mean, it's just blowing out of the water, man. We're so excited. And I think it's Good for you guys. That's super exciting. And you're yeah. playing the, when we were young festival. This yes. Year. Yeah, dude, I'm off. I'm leaving uh, tomorrow from the time we're recording this episode. I, I'm flying uh, to Sweden to uh, rehearse with our drummer who lives in Stockholm. 
uh, for a Slam Dunk Festival in the UK, which is next weekend. Wow. So that's our first, this coming up weekend is our first real sort of here we go. Congratulations, man. Yeah. Will you save me a size large yellow card t-shirt, please? Dude, I'll I save really you one of each. a piece of birch I'll of save yours. you one of each. Okay. All right, Brian. <laughs> Thank you so Thanks, much, dude. man. That was fun. Hour and 13 minutes. I well, can keep too going, long? man. Is it too long? What's right. better, Halloween or Nightmare on Elm Street? I'm an Elm Street guy. Elm Street. Uh, that that's like the one that, as a little kid, I you know HBO. Like yeah. I would sneak <laughs> where in the house. Like my parents were upstairs, I'd sneak downstairs or ver- vice versa to watch that movie and have the worst nightmares. What's of, better of my life? Uh, Pulp Fiction or Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? Pulp Fiction. Pulp Fiction is better. Oh God. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's a that's a landmark milestone film if you're a 90s kid i have been re-watching once upon a time in hollywood like a maniac the last two it's months. so good it's a 10 out of 10 it is it is i do not deny yeah. it but pulp fiction is just all time dude yeah it is all time but like i don't at that time the out of order storytelling you right. know it was just so like no one had ever done i mean it was no. Man, what a film. That's the first movie in my life that I walked out of when I was leaving the theater wondering how they made that and and trying to figure out what a director did in a movie. Because before mm-hmm. I would just go to the movie, oh, that was fun. I move on with my life. Mm-hmm. Pulp Fiction, I was like, what is, who did this? How did they do this movie? Uh, what the hell? Dude, it, it's so good. Okay. Now well, we're done. I know how good my coffee is, Jules. <laughs> I'm the one that buys it. <laughs> Bonnie. Okay, that's Ryan Key. That's been our episode. Thank you guys so much for watching Tuna on Toast. Happy Snuggles. Bye-bye. Sweet. That's another episode of Strikers Tuna on Toast. Promise it'll get better. Most likely. For sure.